The world is a beautiful but challenging place to live. And let's face it, life hits hard sometimes. So if you find your hopes and dreams and mental well-being needs a boost, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Welcome to Inspire Us with your host, Jay Paul Nadeau, a former hostage negotiator turned motivational speaker and acclaimed author of Take Control of Your Life. And now, here's your host, Jay Paul Nadeau. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 28 of Inspire Us. Last week, I released a show with Annie Lala, one of my coaching instructors, and I released it on February 14th, which is Valentine's Day, obviously, and it only seemed appropriate to do so because Annie really is the North Star of love. Well, this week, I have the pleasure of introducing you to another one of my coaching instructors, Warren McKee. Now, Warren's story is powerful. He is such an inspirational man. Once you listen to this episode, you're going to see what he's made out of. And he's made out of everything that is good. A war veteran who returned to America after fighting in Iraq, only to suffer from post-traumatic stress, finding himself homeless, and building himself up to where he is now. I won't give you all the details you're going to be inspired by listening to this man's story. I know I have been. And without any further delay, here's Warren McKee. Hey, Warren, welcome to Inspire Us. You know what, bud? I am so happy to have you on. I've gotten to know you in the last uh, couple of weeks, and you're a very inspirational individual. A lot of people are looking up to you. And uh, for those of you uh, who are tuning in, Warren is one of my instructors, one of my coaching instructors, and he's doing an amazing job. Uh, I got to look into Warren's background a little bit, and it's pretty remarkable. But before we even go there, welcome, Warren. Thanks, man. It's good to be here, Paul. I'm glad to have you on. When I was doing a little research on you, because we got to chatting, and uh, I came across something, and I hope you don't mind if I read it. It's a little bit about your background. Would you mind? I shared that with you before I started yeah. recording. Would you mind if I shared that? Yeah, I'm all open, man. Open book over here. Okay. All right. And that's great. And I'm sure that my listeners are going to absolutely love it, because being open books these days is so important to share our experiences and, and what we're going through. Here, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is what this remarkable man has gone through. From his words, I've walked the depths of human despair. I was that homeless, alcoholic, and drug-addicted veteran who fell asleep to the sounds of enemy mortar fire. I lost everything, including my wife, my kids, driving away with nothing but the clothes on my back. Wow, what a powerful powerful image that is, Warren. Would you get into that and tell us what happened? You sounds like you went through hell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I went to Iraq back in 2007, 2008, and I was in the Army Guard, uh, military police. And I think some people are actually made for that, right? There's people who go to war and they come back and everything's fine. And then there's people who aren't. Uh, and actually, I think the statistics would show many people aren't. But I won't get too into the weeds with that. I went to war. We had, you know, enemy mortar fire, things like that. Uh, I was working in a prison. We saw 
so many levels of human degradation and the treating of people like they're cattle and just things that really altered my my view of reality, my understanding of morality. And when I got back, I simply couldn't put the pieces together. I remember coming home and going to my basement. And even though I had a, I think he, my youngest son was even, not even one years old yet. Uh, and my other son was two and I couldn't even do anything with them. All I could do was sit in the basement in the dark by myself and just do that. And I didn't know, I didn't have any help or support. I don't think anybody really knew how to help me. And things just really fell apart really rapidly. I soon got a divorce afterwards. You know, obviously my wife was very upset with you know, how I was behaving and I can't really blame her, honestly. And I pretty quickly started finding out that drugs were a really easy way to disconnect from reality and pain specifically. And rather than just dealing with that pain, going to therapy, talking it out, or even just acknowledging that there's pain, I just shoved it down as so many veterans. That led ultimately to me not dealing with my PTSD, not dealing with severe depression and having suicidal thoughts probably dozens of times a day. Uh, and that led me to just continuously blaming the world, blaming the war, blaming other people, blame my ex-wife. Everyone but me <laughs> was at fault somehow. And that disintegrated any form of relationship I had. I didn't have any connections with people other than maybe close family. And even that, them were probably really concerned about me. And eventually that led to me being homeless in a state, Texas, where I think I knew four or five people total in the whole state. Uh, and I hit rock bottom, you know, hard, hardcore. And I was living out of a car that didn't even work. <laughs> it would stall at lights. Sometimes it wouldn't start. Uh, and I was borrowing the car because I had crashed my car in an accident maybe a year before. And I'd lost everything. I, don't, I think I had I th everything I owned literally fit in a car. And that was basically the clothes I was wearing, um, some other clothes, I think. That was it. And I had a styrofoam cooler behind me that I would put vegetables in because they're less likely to go as bad in the hot texas heat didn't need ice as often it was pretty brutal <laughs> oh wow well, yeah well what you're describing is brutal i mean uh the uh the crimes against humanity that you experienced in iraq uh can can really impact a person's psyche their uh, their whole persona and to come back from iraq after having served uh in in combat and not to be supported by your government or by anybody and sort of to be, to slip through the cracks. Uh, another veteran, here we go. Well, thanks for your service uh, to America uh, or to whoever. Uh, you're on your own, buddy. And to go yeah. back, yeah, right. Oh man, you slipped into post-traumatic stress. Are you still experiencing that, Warren? Is there still some times where you you lay your head uh, in bed and you can you can visualize what, what happened to you in the past or are you, are you getting out of that? I'm very fortunate that the drugs I chose to get quote unquote addicted to were psychedelics. I wasn't, you can't really get addicted to psychedelics. However, you can get addicted to the habitual use of them to avoid experiencing the painful reality you're living in, which is exactly what I was doing. And that fortunately made it very easy to get off of them and stop using them to run away. However, it also 
in some way, you know, it is medicinal. You can't help it if it is or not. You know, taking like psilocybin, LSD. And that led me to finding people who got me into ayahuasca communities. And that really helped me take a really super deep level, my core human being. I remember the first time I did it, I had an analysis, strange brew from Peru. And it totally shook me. It really woke me up to how I'm, I'm the reason my life got that way. I'm the one that led all of these things that get this, you know, letting things go, not taking responsibility, making bad decisions. And that's, uh, that helped me turn things around. I found the self-development path. And then I found that whenever I had these intense emotions that I didn't know how to handle anymore, because I essentially shut them all off. If it wasn't joy, happiness, or being altered, I pretty much didn't want to feel it or anger. I'd feel that sometimes. I, uh, I ended up doing a lot of meditation too. And I found something called a state change, which I'd never heard of before. And essentially by learning this technique, I was able to shift out of those moments where I would slip back into intense anxiety or distrust of others, or even I'd say borderline manic depression. Uh, when that, I feel those feelings come on, I feel that like vortex black hole trying to crush my soul <laughs> and deteriorate all the work I'm doing. I would remember to breathe. And sometimes I would even do some exercise or I would just go lay down and feel whatever was feeling and coming up and not judging it. Like, Oh, this is a shitty feeling. Oh, I can't feel that way. Don't that's, that's not okay. Everything was welcome. After doing that for probably six, seven years, I, uh, I wouldn't say I'm cured by any means. I think there's, you can't revert all of the damage done to your brain. You know, I don't know if that's even possible. However, it definitely made it where I was functional again and I could go to work and have conversations with people. I can hear loud noises and it doesn't really freak me out. I don't get paranoid that the government is trying to do crazy things anymore. Um, just really strange thoughts that enter your mind when you're on drugs and struggling with mental illness. So I'd say largely I'm, I'm better in getting better. I think that's the fair way to say it. <laughs> well, and that's a great way of saying it, really. You're better at getting better. And a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. We just keep moving forward, right? We just keep building yeah. on what we've got. Um, for a second there, though, uh, I missed, because you froze a little bit, um, but oh, yeah. I, I missed what the what the catalyst was that got you out of that car and got you to, you, you mentioned uh, ayahuasca communities. Uh, and uh, what was it that really turned your, when you dropped down, what was it that turned you around? What, what, was it a thought? Was it a person? Was it a conversation that you had? Was it something that you read? You know, it's, I don't think there's one thing. I, I have, have, I've had this question a lot, actually. And I'm like, what was the one thing? <laughs> I don't think it was one thing. I think it was a collection of a few things. And I'll, I'll put them in order of how important I think they are, because I think there's some value there. The biggest thing I think was taking personal response. I was in that car and I was driving knowing I had nowhere to go and no money to fill the tank once it ran out. Right. I realized that, you know, the military didn't put me in that car. Uh, my ex-wife didn't put me in that car. Nobody did. I did. And then I started thinking about how I got into that situation. And I realized all these points in my life where I just made this shitty decision. Mm -hmm. I'd taken the, uh, how do they put it? Maybe Tony Robbins said this. It's like, if, 
if you live life the hard way, it's not going to be easy. And if you live life the easy way, it's going to be hard. I was living it the easy way and it was getting incredibly friggin' hard. <laughs> uh, and I knew that, you know, I knew there were so many times where I should have, you know, gone and focused on getting work or there's a part of me, a small part at that time that knew therapy was an option and knew that I needed to talk to other human beings about what was happening. And I just simply wasn't, I was just fantasizing about suicide. And that felt like a event, if you will. Um, and tried three times and failed very fortunately. So yeah, personal responsibility, seeing that every single one of those actions, nobody had a gun to my head and said, do it. I signed the dotted line and joined up. You know, I did, I decided to go to Iraq. I could have, you know, prevented that from happening. All those things, you know, and then connection really saved me. I had a friend, Jordan, who's a close friend of mine still this day, probably will be for the rest of my life. He and I met in a clinical trial as doing basically taking experimental drugs to tell big pharma what it does to your body. Uh, Yeah, not the best job, but when you're homeless, (laughs) you'll take what you can get. Yeah. Uh, And I took what I could get. He, however, was had a software engineer job and he was just doing some extra cash. So he's, he and I befriended one another and got into talks about psychedelics. He, that eventually led to him inviting me to come live with him as his roommate. And that was really healing. You know, someone was giving me this chance after I'd had this big wake up moment of, holy shit, I just ruined my life. I was supposed to be in the FBI and that was my goal and my trajectory. And now here I am <laughs> somewhere completely different. Like I took a right and ended up on Venus or something. Uh, big time <laughs> connection. I heard it. Someone say this once on a Ted talk. It's a uh, connections, the opposite of addiction. I, I really believe that because if he had not believed in me, I don't really know where I would have gone. I, I, I felt pretty hopeless. You know, I, I, everything felt hopeless. Like if I get a job, then what, you know, I, I still hate life and don't like being alive and didn't really like doing anything. And having friends that I'm like tearing up a little bit, having friends that cared about me really made the difference. And shortly after meeting him, like a year or two later, I made a men's group and then I found real connection, real deep connection. I'd already had it with Jordan, but now I had a group of seven men that I can call on any day and they'd be there for me. And same for me with them. What you're what you're describing, wow, is is um, is so profound because here I am. I'm imagining a a veteran who has really lost hope, uh, who has suicidal thoughts, who is suffering from post traumatic stress, living in his car, uh, you know, with visions of I should have been an FBI agent. Here's my life. My life really sucks. What am I going to do now? But then to have the the clarity of examining your life and taking action as a result of that, how did that mindset really come to you? That, that's a huge shift. You said a state change, and mm-hmm. that is a really real change in state. A lot of people here today who are suffering uh, from uh, stress and anxiety and who may, after COVID-19, pretty much find themselves suffering from post-traumatic stress as well as a result of this, this war that we're fighting against COVID. How did that mindset come to Warren? How did that mindset come to you? Uh, was it, was it a, like, again, and I know that you said that you can't pinpoint it on one thing, but there must have been something that really grabbed you. Yeah. 
Well, like most people who tend to crush it at life and they just kind of go nuts in a certain direction and eventually it works for them. I had to get to rock bottom. I think not for everybody, for a good chunk of people though, that tends to be true for some reason. And I think there are ways to prevent that, like a healthy childhood, um, healthy upbringing, things like that. And I had, I had a pretty good childhood. I had an abusive mom. So there were some things that, you know, the source of my love was also the source of terror. And so that I think really skewered my version of reality, my perspective. And so I think a lot of people who have similar experiences or maybe, you know, got hooked on drugs, had a bad childhood, things like that. We tend to need that rock bottom. And for me, that was very true. I had to be in that car. I had to have those experiences. I had to experience the heart shattering things that led up to that. I mean, for example, the car I was driving was a car I was borrowing from my friend <laughs> who was just with, we we're polyamorous, it was madness back then. And I just left his house. We're all living together, pretty crazy. And they stayed living together. I moved out and I had to feel that pain though. You know, like my close or who I thought was my closest friend ended up sleeping with my partner after I asked them not to. And just all the pain that came with that and like the anger and like the, this militant part of me that just wanted to just destroy the world after feeling that I had to feel that pain because from in that moment of pain and suffering, you know, I was able to get clarity. It goes only so far you can run with drugs. And eventually, even then in the drug, and it would probably be worse than if you were sober. Uh, and that's what started happening. I couldn't ignore it. I had to start asking what, why is this happening? Like, what, what is the meaning of this? Why is why me, you know? And eventually I had to start thinking of like, what do I got to do to get out of here? Cause this is not working. Mm. That led to uh, me just basically being finally after years of having, I'd say a two inch thick skull, uh, <laughs> finally listening to other people. Cause before anyone, anytime someone told me something, even a little wooey, I'd be like, that's bullshit. I don't even listen. And now I'm like on the opposite end of the spectrum, but that led to me finding of course, Jordan, who introduced me to, you know, I listened to his advice. I would listen to his tidbits. And Jordan told me about this school called the Relationship School. And at the time, I was in another relationship and I sucked at relationships still. You know, I didn't have those skills, very bad at it. And he showed me this little class in it. We watched, like, I think it was an hour long digital course. And I did the course with him in his living room. And I remember them practicing immediately afterwards and had, instantaneously different results instantly than I'd ever really gotten used to having before. I think it was about reflect, reflective listening and using I statements. So I was using the I statements and I was listening to my partner and listening to them. And I was like, Holy crap, this is because we all go to high school. Right. And then you don't go to a math class. Most of us don't at least. And be like, Oh my God, this changed the game. Yeah. <laughs> but this did, it really did. Like being able to say, this is my friggin' experience and I'm not going to project it onto you. Being able to do that, even at a, such a novice level back then, shifted the game. So then I signed up for this nine-month course called the Relationship School. I think it was called the Deep Psychology Intimate Relationships. Jason Gaddis, amazing person in teachings. I uh, quickly, and the first live event we had in Boulder, Colorado, you know, I was again like opening up. I'm like, okay, I need to understand that I can't solve all my own problems because that's how I ended up homeless. And at the time, I was still feeling hopeless. You know, I'm like, oh man, life sucks. Everything sucks. This is interesting. Let's do this thing. Maybe it'll work. I don't know. I'm just experimenting, trying new things. And the first day we were doing all these different exercises. All of them are so cool. 
And I remember going to meet this woman that I'm still friends with today, Denise. And she opened up to me about things that were so deep in 10 minutes that it's, it touched me and it touched me in a way that I started feeling more feelings. I just, again, I shoved them all down. Don't feel emotions. You know, I think at one point I convinced myself that I was broken, you know, like I don't have a feelings, which is obviously a lie. And then I felt like sadness for what she was describing and compassion. And, and then like a light bulb came on. If, if this man who's created this course can help me, and this is helping me so much so quickly and i'm deepening with this woman i just met from wisconsin i'd never met her before i can do that i can help people have an experience like that where they get just the right tool or, or technique be a better version of themselves and then i went that full speed and intensity i had in the military towards trying to be in the fbi and go to the college do all those things for that i brought that then to coaching because it was the first thing in my life i found that felt useful you know not useful in oh i can go get a job with this you know, like i i wanted to kill myself what was a job gonna do right not gonna stop that from happening i wanted something that felt useful in the way that i could literally have anything i want if i just kept doing it and i i just kept going from there and that was eight years ago seven eight years ago something like that oh well what you're describing warren is uh is so profound because um and this is something that a lot of people fail to do. That's called self-examination. And yeah. when you when you examined your life back then, you came to a, a crossroads where it's either working for you, or it's not. And it's your responsibility to do something about it if it's not working, which is exactly what you did. You found meaning uh, in, in that course uh, where you could help the lives of others. And that's exactly what you're doing right now because you have... Uh, not only been a relationship coach uh, over the years, you're now coaching people on how to coach people, and, yeah. which, which is remarkable. That must have been such a, a, a revelation to you. And can you describe how each step gave you more courage to move forward to the next step? Yeah. So with the first light bulb with Denise sitting on the floor of some <laughs> it was a Unitarian <laughs> church in Boulder, something like that. That was the courage to, well, this woman just poured her guts to me. You know, I can do the same, you know, I'm, I can do what she's doing. And that gave me the courage because I think that it's something like when you lead with vulnerability, it begets, it invites more vulnerability. So then I kind of learned that, oh, okay. And I'd already known how to be vulnerable because I could just talk about my life. And to me, you know, I'm depressed in my head. I'm like, whatever, this is pointless, but I'll tell you anyways. But other people are like, holy crap, you went through all that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> but to actually connect to my emotions while expressing it was completely different. You know, to, to get out of my head of like, oh, I can't wait to just dis disconnect, go to sleep or something. To actually feel, oh, yeah, that was painful. You know, having a mom who, for example, showed me down a flight of stairs and said, did you have a nice trip? Like things like that hurt so deep. And I wasn't even acknowledging it or that I was in, you know, in a war zone. And even there, I felt completely isolated. I felt like I had no friends, even though these are my brothers and sisters. And I'm sure they would, you know, defend me and I would defend them. I felt utterly alone. Massive pain there, uh, mm. just not being experienced. But it's not like it goes away, right? Right. And I know another thing that gave me the courage was <laughs> knowing that things weren't always this way. 
and seeing that there, because of that fact alone, it could be a different way. And I could find another way, you know, I don't have to keep doing what I'm doing at any point in time. I can do something different, like realizing that in that car, right. <laughs> that right. Gave me the courage to say, well, if, if that's true, then I'm not going to do this. Cause this sucks. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> I mean, really freaking <laughs> apples and oranges and celery is all I can afford. I'm vegan. So it's not a big deal, but I'm like, I can't even cook it, you know, or eating like <laughs> lettuce. <laughs> Just, right. Right. Dressing. Yeah, you'd be making stone soup somewhere and, and hoping that yeah. some, somebody would give you a, a fire to, uh, to warm your food up with. Uh, wow, you, what you're describing is really a journey in which every step has taken you even further into a healing process and helping those other people that you've done. Uh, what I like, uh, so many things about what you've said, I like the opposite of addiction is connection. And I think what, when I heard you talking about your mom and, and you know, the, some of the things that she had done to you, do you think it's possible for us to be addicted to the bad things that have happened to us in our lives? Oh, yeah. And even more so than that, we rewrite the story every time we think of it. So we either validate how bad it was or we make it even worse. Right. That's the tendency I see people to do. Like it was so bad and then it gets worse and worse and worse. And your brain literally creates more larger neural networks around this memory. And then you recreate it in your mind and make it bigger and badder and more controlling of your feelings. And I think that at least I'll speak for myself, but I, I definitely have talked to a lot of depressed people who I think felt similar. There's something familiar and easy about feeling like crap. You know, it's mm. like, oh, what's the point? Why bother doing this job if I'm, you know, nothing matters. So nihilistic. Mm -hmm. And it's so comforting to just think that there's this like release of death or even just your own mind thinking about, you know, these bad things rather than doing something that is hard. Like, how do I get better at make a resume mm -hmm. if you're homeless? Mm -hmm. Like these things are far more difficult because they're not familiar. You know, they're difficult. Like everything that's worth doing is hard usually. And mm -hmm. that is a resistance point. It's easier to say, oh, well, now nah, this is pointless. I'm just going to go back into this hole than it is to say, I can stand up at any point in time and start making better decisions, even if it's one a day. How do people get there though, Warren? Um, because a lot of people are sitting back today during COVID and although they're not experiencing what you're describing right now, they're experiencing their own hell. Uh, oh, you yeah. know, they, maybe they, they've lost their job and they, it's easy to get, and you said it, uh, it's easy to get acclimatized to something that's not working. You know, it's familiar, it's learned helplessness. And, you know, we, we discover how to be helpless and we're okay with that, uh, which is not good for us. If we stay in that spot, it's going to consume our lives and draw some people to think uh, terrible thoughts and to give up hope on everything. How can somebody get out of that state of mind where you are, hey, this is my life. I may as well just, I'm in a toxic relationship and I'm getting hit every day. I'm getting told I'm useless. I'm getting, I've got no job. I've got that internal monologue that just controls us. How do we get out of that, Warren? You know, we've all heard it before. You're the sum average of your five closest people. And I think there is, there's is so much truth to that. <laughs> I think it's so vital. It, 
even critical that you find someone who believes in you and believes in something better for you than what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But even to get to that point, I think the first thing you have to do is just simply commit and commit to the fact that you will probably fail hundreds, if not thousands of times in trying to get better because that's what life is. And just recommit every single time. Oh, I fell off the bandwagon. I got super drunk last night or to drugs. Okay, wait a minute. This is not what I want. Recommit. And then find people or surround yourself with people who believe in you being able to do that. And it's really hard to do, I know, sometimes. But really, if you can start inside, it's a lot easier to find people outside. Because no one's going to come to your rescue. No one's going to come save you. You know, that's not how reality works. What will happen, though, is you save you. And then you can do that by having people around you that you can lean on. Not to necessarily rescue you, but someone you can just talk to and say, hey, I'm having these thoughts. Can you help me think of it a different way? You know, someone who does that for you. I like that uh, very much because you're right. A lot of people are waiting to be rescued. And I've said this before too. If you wait to be rescued, you'll be sitting on that uh, rock of solitude probably for the rest of your life because not, not too many superheroes jump into your life and take control of it. Control comes from within and change comes from within. Uh, and we need to rely on other people. And I like what you said, reaching out to, to five people or reaching out to someone, connecting with someone and getting that hope and encouragement. What would you say to uh, anyone out there who is experiencing this, this loneliness, uh, this hopelessness that may not have people uh, that they connect to because they're, uh, I guess, alienated from them or they've decided to kind of withdraw from that? Uh, you're a coach. Uh, is there something that you could provide, some kind of guidance that you could provide for those people? Yeah. Probably the same thing I'd say to myself back then if I were willing to listen. And it's, you're not alone. You're only alone if you choose to be so. And there's so many, especially in this day and age, 2020, internet, Facebook, social media, there are so many options out there in finding other people. And if you commit yourself, again, commit is so, committing is so important here. If you commit yourself to finding that person, they're out there. There's something like, what is it, five or six, seven billion people on the planet? Yeah. That is a ton of people <laughs> to potentially match up with and be friends or even lovers or have a sponsor if you're on drugs. And while you're doing that, though, because that's one piece, right? It's finding another person. But again, it's got to start inside. And it's hard to make a friend if you're stuck in that depression point because you're, let's be honest, depression is one of the most self-centered mental illnesses out there because you're not capable of really thinking outside of yourself it's mm -hmm. a limitation outside of your control um in your brain i mean you can control it but you can't just turn it off you know you, you have to work at it the, the thing i found really beneficial and it's one of those things that's little tiny baby steps over and over and over and over and over and over and millions of times over again but it works and it's cumulative is find something to be grateful for every single day no matter how bad it is, there's something in your life that you enjoy. Maybe it was a sunrise. Maybe it was this tree that has, you saw some leaves fall off and it felt like a magic moment. Maybe it was just a person who was really nice to you and said, hey, nice hair. Whatever it is, I think actually the world's happiest man who's a Buddhist monk, I can't remember his name, but he's quoted as saying, gratitude is the key to happiness. Uh, and that's true. Mm -hmm. By finding that gratitude, 
you're far more likely than the more you do it to find more things to be grateful for. And the reason I think this works is you're shifting your focus from this sucks. Ah, I want to kill myself or this is miserable or I'm alone or whatever the thing is you're obsessing over or just constantly chronically or even manically at times thinking about it helps you shift that to focusing on something good. Oh, I'm noticing I like that paint color on that wood. Oh, that's a neat pattern. Oh, that's a cool shirt. It's a whole identity shift over time. And like, again, it's very incremental. For me, it started off like a little tiny one or two things a day. And now I have a journal I do every single day. There's three things I do before I go to bed. I'll think the things I'm grateful for in the day. Uh, when I meet someone, I try to find something I like about them. And I really think this is because I just find things to be grateful for rather than find things that I don't like that I want to complain about or whine about behind someone's back. Right. That's a, that's a great state of mind. Uh, it is developing a state of mind and really uh, appreciating. And as you said, gratitude is one of those things that a lot of people take for granted. And yet it is one of the key components to finding and establishing happiness and keeping happiness. Uh, a lot of people think, well, gratitude, okay, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for the roof over my head. How about being grateful for something that happened in the last hour? For example, me and you, um, I am so grateful that you're on my show. This is a, a moment of gratitude, you taking your time and sharing your experiences. A lot of people uh, think that gratitude has to be for the big things. Well, this is a big thing, but it may not be the first thing that comes to your mind. You know, you walk out, you see a flower, be grateful for that moment, you know, that made you happy. As you said, the paint on the wall, <laughs> hey, that's kind of a cool pattern. So <laughs> yeah, that's great. So now you are coaching a lot of people on how to become coaches. And tell me about that experience. How does that make you feel? Because I, I, I'm watching, uh, you know, five, 600 people a day who are turning to you and, and who appreciate what you're doing for them so much. And I, I read the comments and folks, I'm taking a coaching class. And yes, Warren is one of the great instructors and uh, I, I'm really enjoying it. And he's down to earth, you know, he's right down to earth and he just tells it the way it is. And so many people appreciate that. How is that making you feel? Like a million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, I literally had so many times where I thought I was on the wrong path. I wasn't getting clients. I wasn't getting money. And I was like, shit, maybe this is not the thing. Oh, no. The thing I thought <laughs> saved me isn't the thing. And I started cracking. And I remember my parents saying things like, maybe you should get a job. And other people saying that to me. And I'm like, no, this is the freaking thing. I'm doing this thing. And it's, it's hard. It really is hard to surround yourself consistently with people who believe in you, especially when it's, you're talking about, geez, I think it was four or five years before I consistently could get clients. It's a long period of time to believe in something and then have people around you see you not crush it, not necessarily get everything that they think you should have. It is hard, but I stuck to it and I kept finding more people who believed in me and I started going away from the people who didn't. Again, like the connection, people believing in you, it's so critical. And I, I kept finding these people. And then when I'd find those people, we'd become friends, you know, I'd call them, we'd jam out in Zoom because it was, you know, I, some of this was even during COVID. And finally I got my break, you know, I busted my butt. I did this contest for Eben called Speed of Implementation. I won it. I took it pretty seriously as I do most coaching things. I'm just obsessed, I guess. And that led to him offering me a job later uh, just because he saw all these things I was doing. 
And that felt like one of the most validating experiences of my life, you know, after years of trying this thing and pretty much getting to the brink of wanting to quit several times and not, uh, it just felt so good. It felt like probably winning the lottery actually. And except it's better than the lottery because you win the lottery, you don't, you still don't know how to make money. You know, like right, right. now I know how to make money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what you're describing, really, I, I think a lot of people can, uh, can connect with you there because they're finding themselves wanting to uh, or needing to, and, and both of them are, are valid, um, to re, I guess, invent themselves because COVID has taken something away, perhaps. And what you're talking about is following your dream, no matter what that is, and being your own business person and, you know, not stopping because it's too hard, but persevering until you get to where you want to be. And I, I think that's important uh, for everyone who may be thinking about a new career or something like that. Uh, you know, just follow your heart and never give up. Exactly. And another thing that you hit on, which I really like, the people that aren't supporting you or the people in who may have been part of your tribe who don't believe in you uh, or are negatively uh, influencing you need to be dropped and you need to move to the people who are supporting you. That's really encouraging in that message uh, that you're doing. And I, I can see when you talk about it, you light up and uh, uh, it's just a, an incredible story. What would you tell people uh, right now who may be struggling with making that decision to follow their heart as you did uh, and uh, to create a new path? What should they be paying attention to or how can they get to where they want to be i love gary keller's quote because he was asked something similar and he said dream big aim high i love that mm. you have to dream big and you have to aim high in my mind you get one life and you literally can choose how to spend that life Take an easy route which will probably make life hard yeah. <laughs> or you can take the hard route it's like, uh, it's just like hiking. You know, I love hiking. I live in a school bus. I drive around the United States. I go to Rocky mountains. It's one of my favorite places on earth till I go to Machu Picchu that might change it. But, huh. uh, I, I remember so many times where I've taken easy trails where I was like, okay, you know, the grade on this is pretty low. It's not too Rocky. I could probably do this easily in a few hours and I get to the end of it. It, it feels good. You know, I got a view, usually a Vista, if you will. And then I'm there for maybe a few minutes and I'm bored. You know, like, okay, it's time to hike back. <laughs> it's not a huge thing. However, when I, for example, <laughs> you didn't pick this up, Paul, I'm a little crazy. Uh, I, <laughs> I did well, welcome thing. to the club. I think I saw you once when I was in crazy land. I dropped in for a, <laughs> I dropped in for a couple of minutes and I said, hey, there's Warren. And, I, and then I yeah. left. <laughs> yeah, I still swim there sometimes. But in the good end, <laughs> the, the, the warmer, cooler, the, the nice end. I, I did this thing called a, uh, oh geez, there's this Native American ritual where they essentially sit down and meditate for three days, four days in one spot. And they have a tender, someone who makes sure that they're not hurt, something bad hasn't happened to them. And you, know, you can get up, use the bathroom, but essentially you're staying in one spot in nature for four days. And I did this ritual, wow. <laughs> except I had to add the crazy element to it. Uh, Cause sitting in one <laughs> spot for me is very difficult. So instead, to the Rocky Mountains <laughs> for four days on a 20 mile uphill trek and with no food, you fast this whole time. Ooh. You have water, but yeah. no food. Yeah. Now, I had never done anything like this before. I have fasted, but not like this. And I remember I started whiting out. I had like maybe a 40, 50 pound pack on sleeping in a hammock 
And I started whiting out and falling like almost unconscious. And I'd have to like stop moving, sit down, get back up and then go hiking. And then it would happen again, 15 minutes later. Uh, <laughs> and it was hard. <laughs> it was so hard. And I remember by day three, I started having just desperate thoughts. Like, what am I doing? Am I crazy? Am I going to die? I remember at one point, I, um, I think I got sick because I contaminated my water source on accident. So I ended up having some uh, rear end issues. <laughs> I had to go take a bath in the river because I got sick. And I don't have food either. So I go in this river. I'm washing my clothes with soap and water. And then I see these people and I'm like it, the, the water on top of the Rocky Mountains, it comes from like, I think glaciers or something. It is incredibly cold. <laughs> uh, you know, even though it's like 80 or 70 or something, it, it was very cold in that water. And I look up after I, and I look up and you know, it's beautiful. And now this coldness is rejuvenating me. I'm not feeling desperate anymore. The, the nagging voice in my mind saying, quit, don't do it. has disappeared for a moment. And then my underwear I'm washing just goes and I'm naked and it goes down this river and I start chasing my underwear down this river. <laughs> so it's a, and then when I finally catch my underwear, I look up and then the trail has a vista that some people are over and they're looking at me naked in the river. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so I go back, I ring my underwear out. I finish. I go here and <laughs> it's awesome. It's amazing. It's really hard. <laughs> day sprinting back to my motorcycle with a 50 pound pack on feeling like I'm starving. Point of the story here is that that was hard. You know, these four hour hikes was nothing, you know, that, that is total different. It's like a different universe. And remember the, the level of gratitude and pleasure and reward and satisfaction I had after that. It's the first meal I had, I drove into Boulder, which is my favorite restaurant, uh, native foods cafe. And I started crying while eating. I don't think I've ever cried from eating before or since actually. And again, it's because I did the hard thing and I found myself, I found more meaning. I remember I was going into it, the question and trying to answer, who am I? And then I came out four days later and I've been sitting with this for years because I'm like, am I the homeless guy? Am I the soldier? Am I the dude who loved video games as a kid? Who, who the hell am I? Hmm. Uh, or am I the coach? And then I, I came to the conclusion, and I think this is only because of how hard this was. I am whoever I am in this moment. I am mm. whoever I choose to be. And I can change that at any point in time. I'm never stuck. So, and again, it's all about like, taking the harder path, doing something that initially may feel almost impossible and following my dreams. And the same thing was true in my business, you know, and I was following my dreams and it felt so, it was just like the hike. It was so like, oh my God, am I going to starve? Cause I'm going to run out of money and then I'm going to lose my home and then be homeless for the fourth time. Mm. What? I do not want that, you know, and panicking. And just like in that moment, the day three, I'm having this nagging voice. Like, what are you doing? I brought food too, just in case I got into an emergency. So I had food with me and the stupid voice is saying, eat the food. What are you doing? This is crazy. You have food in your backpack on your back same thing it's like you gotta face that adverse you have to face it almost like mike tyson you know like mike tyson goes into a fight knowing that there is only one way this will happen i will win there is no other alternative reality this is it and i kept bringing that energy to it like yeah, okay it's not working right now that does not mean it won't work it just simply means i haven't figured it out over and over and over again failing failing fail better fail better fail better until i finally started winning a little bit and I started winning more often. 
And I started not making critical, huge mistakes anymore. That cost me thousands of dollars. Uh, I think well, that's really that just yeah. facing the challenge. Yeah. And you touched on so many really incredible things. I, here I am, I I'm picturing this veteran who's, uh, you know, living in his car, uh, with suicidal thoughts who then examines his life and makes a decision to move out of his bad circumstances into something new. And a man who continues to follow his dreams and learn as he goes and then implement what he's learned, never give up on his dreams, to the point where uh, you take risks and you take the action necessary to get you to where you want to be. And I think a lot of people can really learn from what you've just said, because it is a blueprint on how to get through this COVID craziness, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, what final ideas could you uh, impart with our listeners when it comes to taking control of your of your life or their lives? Yeah, transformation works in very mysterious ways sometimes. But if you study transformation and you understand how it works, it, it becomes demystified, like most things, actually. And what I learned when I started actually committing to that and trying to understand what is transformation? What does that mean? Can you intentionally transform? Is it an accident? Sometimes it's an accident uh, and sometimes it's not. And what I learned is you can kind of think of transformation as, and Eben Pagan talks about this a lot. I love his, his analogies are so good. Mm. It's like a spiral staircase up and yes. up it goes. And if you're here in level say 24 and you're trying to get to level 25 and that's the next level for you, right? That's transformation. You can't see what's on the next level. You have no idea what it'll look like. So you have to remember that as you're doing it, you know, it, it's not going to look like what you're currently doing because you're not there yet. Otherwise you wouldn't be transformed. You'd be in the same place you're at. So that's, that's one thing that helped motivate me is that it's not going to look like what I'm doing now. You know, it's not, I, I have to keep trying different things because otherwise I'm like, is it just simply experimenting and failing a lot? Is that what transformation looks like? Hopefully mm -hmm. not. Uh, and that's part of it. Then I started understanding that all the little things like baby steps, even if they're not even seemingly connected, kind of are connected and not kind of, they are connected. For example, I'm a coach and I wanted to help lots of people. And my goal was to help as many people as possible because that in a selfish way is probably the best feeling I can have. And I'm okay with that. You know, I like that feeling and I'm not hurting anyone. I'm doing good in the world. That feels good to me. Mm -hmm. And it's for me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I knew I wanted that. And what I didn't realize is that, you know, of course, learning about marketing, learning about how to build a business, how do you manage uh, employees as an entrepreneur? That's part of it, a big part. What I didn't realize, though, is that changing my environment, like chasing my dreams and moving to a school bus to travel the United States, <laughs> something kind of crazy, rather than just living in another house like everybody else. That for me is really what helped kickstart it. And then another thing I started doing that seems completely unrelated is lifting a 75 pound kettlebell that I thought was impossible to do. I mean, this thing is bigger than my head and it's half my body, a little less than half my body weight. When I bought this thing, I was like, what am I doing? I can't lift 75 pounds. I've never done with, like I can lift maybe a barbell with 75 pounds on it a few times. And then I kept doing it and doing it and doing it and proving to myself that's all just BS I feed myself. You know, it's just limiting beliefs I have. Mm -hmm. And that, even though it's not connected, exercising with <laughs> crazy, stupid weights, it's not connected to my business, but it is. Because I started realizing I can, and maybe unconsciously, I can do this everywhere. Oh, that seems impossible. I could never work with someone like Evan Pagan. Or is that true? 
or is that just something I can buy out now that I told myself long ago? It's baby steps of all these unrelated areas that really helps. So I'll finish with, we, it helps to focus on the multiple domains, areas of our life, not just one. If you want to succeed in business, you first have to master your inner work. You know, your thoughts, do you identify through them? What about your emotions? What's your relationship to them? Can you feel sadness and be okay? Or do you eat sugar or get high or drink or yell? Do you avoid feeling that? Uh, what about your ideas? What are you doing to nourish creativity? These things are all connected. And only by taking those small transitional steps, like eating better or exercising or having that conversation with your mom you've been avoiding for three months, mm -hmm. all these little things combined, that's what creates success. It really does. Because if, you if you're trying to have success in just one domain of life, you're very likely to fail because your life will fall apart before you get there, mm -hmm. plain and simple. Right, right. What you're talking about too is, uh, is releasing yourself from the um, vision that you can't succeed. And, uh, you know, you were talking about even, and, uh, you know, can I work with him or, or can I work for him? I'm, am I that good? It is about believing in yourself and every aspect of your life that, uh, that's going to make you whole, right? Oh, yeah. 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 I remember what it was like to think I can't do it. And that became very true in every area. I'd go to a job that I had all the credentials for, couldn't get it. I would try and go on a date and it flopped. I would try and <laughs> do something I want to do, like something fun, little activity. And somehow that thing would fail. And then when I switched to I can do anything, literally, that I want, like even this day, I could become a woman if I want to. Like quite literally, you can do whatever you want that made everything better it, it i think it comes back to that gratitude experience too you know it's like changing incrementally little tiny things every day not huge tremendous life shifting shattering experiences i think that is way harder than just doing something little every day like uh i heard this the other day someone i think Evan was talking about this people wear the fitbit well yep. suddenly just because you know how many steps you're taking now you want to take more steps. Like, I want to get that, crush that 10,000 step goal. It's like that. You, you start with maybe several hundred steps or maybe a thousand, and then you try and get a, a few thousand more. Or even standing while working. I'd sit at work all day because I'm on screen like four to six hours a day. My back would kill me by the time I'm done. I even bought a $400 chair, still had problems. I started standing. And at first it was like 15 minutes is all I could do. And I want to sit again. <laughs> Now it's an hour now. Well, then it was an hour. Then it was four hours. Incrementally, I got to the point where I can stand all day, you know, like a buns of steel from it. And I feel good. You know, I feel good about doing it. It's that way in all the domains. It's what is the little baby step you can take to get there? And they keep doing it. Incredible. Warren, uh, your story is so inspirational. Uh, your journey has been so inspirational to so many people and you are helping people and you touched on something. When you bring value and happiness into another person's life, it brings value and happiness back into your own. Uh, and I want to thank you so much for sharing that incredible journey and your incredible insight, which with each and every one of my listeners, and I know uh, they are going to get so much value from this show. And before we close off, how can people reach out to you? How can they connect mm -hmm. with you? My website has all the details, warrenmckeecoaching.com. I'm assuming you can spell out in the show notes. Yep. And 
on there, there's a scheduling page. If you just fill a little quick application, you can work with me. I help coaches and business owners launch their business, get your first 10 clients, get the money rolling in. Uh, by how do you implement, like I'm talking about, those little incremental steps? How do you do that in marketing? How do you do that in sales? How do you close a deal? If you're new to business or especially new to coaching, uh, that's my role here is to help you get to the finish line with 10 clients. Do you mind if I finish with one thing I'd like to share, actually, that just popped in my head? Of course not. Are you kidding? <laughs> I could listen. Listen, I, I'll stop you right there. I could listen to you all day. And if I had you for 24 hours, man, I, I know that I could make so many improvements. So, yes, go ahead, please. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you saying that. Oh, you're welcome. Gratitude, right? <laughs> it's gratitude, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Annie Lala, who is Eben Pagan's wife, said something that just changed me in a hmm, a heart. She's so full of love. She's like a, a the North Star of love, I think. We were talking about this before. We were. Uh, and she said something that really helped me a lot. And I had already gotten past homelessness. I had a business, had clients. And this is something I think that's just kind of like your life will be better regardless of who you are. If you can treat every single interaction with someone you have, no matter who it is, homeless guy at the bus stop, you know, because I was that guy, uh, or your friend, your daughter, your lover, your parents, whoever, coworker, boss, if you can leave every interaction you have to your best ability with leaving them feeling better or being better than when they, before they first had the interaction with you, your whole life will change. Try your best to leave everyone better off than when you first came into contact with them that day or that interaction. So yeah. powerful. That is very powerful and actually very, very moving. It's true. Um, I remember a poem, a kindly word so often helps a sad heart on its way, although we do not always see the good it does that day. You reminded me of that. And what a powerful statement to leave us with. That is, Annie Lala is just such a blessing. Uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing her on my podcast, and she has shared some great stuff, as have you. Thank you for sharing that, because that's so true. If you can change somebody's life for the better, gosh, it's going to change your own, isn't it? Yeah, even if it's, I like your hair. Yeah. I, my partner loves it when people say that to her. Or if someone says, like, nice beard, you know, I can barely grow a beard. So if someone says that to me, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We have got the power to change people's lives, don't we? Oh, yeah. And, and, Everybody. Yeah. And you were talking about how people can reach you for coaching services, which is so key today. I think more and more, we're going to see more and more coaches emerging because this world is now uh, challenging us to become coaches, to coach people through things, uh, to help people get to where they want to be. So if anybody is looking for a, a dynamic coach, you've just heard one for an hour uh, sharing his experiences and his vision with us. And uh, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, uh, Warren, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your incredible story with Inspire Us, because that's exactly what you've done. You have inspired us. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks Paul. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another insightful episode. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave your comments. For more information, check out our website at www.inspireus.ca. Remember, it's not what happens to us that matters most. It's how we respond to what happens to us that does. Stay strong and resilient.